Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Man, that children's liturgy, the word procession, that is like one of the cutest things we got going on here. Oh my gosh. I saw some of you wanting to go with them. I saw. I saw your heads turning. Do they have juice boxes down there? Okay, friends, every year as the church draws to the end of the liturgical calendar, because we are, we're drawing it to the end of the liturgical year, the church gives us readings thematically inviting us to kind of contemplate ultimate questions, the ultimate things. We're going to be hearing about this in the next coming weeks. The questions of death and judgment, heaven, hell, all of those things. And you can see that all over the readings that we have for this weekend, in particular that first reading from the book of Maccabees and the gospel. We see these questions about heaven, hell, afterlife, death, judgment, all of that. Jesus' words in the gospel are gesturing at the final destiny of the human person. And I've preached on this before, and I'm not going to belabor this point too much today, but the Sadducees come to him, right, because they've got this question. They think they've got him cornered. They got this scenario, this woman who marries all these men, very tragic. All these men, they die. Who will she be married to in heaven? And he gives the response, in heaven they neither marry nor are they given in marriage. They are like angels. They are like angels. Which does not mean that we become angels. Just so we're very clear. This is something I'm like, that'll be carved into my tombstone. When we die, we don't become angels. We're a different species than angels. That's like saying we die and become giraffes. Um... I don't think anyone has a hope of being a giraffe in heaven. We're different species. Angels never had bodies. We have bodies, right? We're different species. No, we will be like them in the sense that we'll be caught up into communion with God and the beatific vision. What he's getting at here is the original sign value, if you will, the original sign value of earthly marriage, earthly communion, earthly love was meant by God from the beginning to be a sign that pointed to our ultimate destiny. Like what is heaven going to be like? Well, it's like a marriage feast. Well, who's the bride? We are. You are. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Jesus. That earthly marriage was a sign from the beginning to point to the ultimate marriage, ultimate union, ultimate communion, divine, perfect, infinite love and bliss taken up into the life of the Trinity. Okay. And this reality, this kind of connection here, this is, I think, why the church pairs this gospel with this Old Testament reading from the book of Maccabees. I was reading these readings all week, preparing for the weekend like I typically do, and it wasn't until yesterday that it just jumped out at me that in the first reading you've got seven brothers, in the gospel you have seven brothers. It's like, huh, I wonder if that's a coincidence. I don't think so. I don't think so. These seven brothers are connected to the seven brothers of the gospel because their marriage, marriages, the gospel guys, their seven marriages, albeit short and tragic, with this woman were the sign that pointed to why these seven Jewish brothers were willing to be martyred. Okay, that's where we're going. I'm going to dive in. Buckle up. We're going deep. Okay, a little context for the first reading, a little context for this book from the book of Maccabees. The book of Maccabees contains the stories of the Maccabean revolt that occurred in the second century BC. It's the events that our Jewish brothers and sisters now celebrate as Hanukkah, right? The eight days, all that stuff. The rededication of the temple. So at that time, 
Alexander the Great had died, and kings in his stead had taken over, and the whole world was being Hellenized. You had a Greek king named, named King Antiochus IV Epiphanes. King Antiochus IV, he was, he was a despot, he was a tyrant, he was evil, and he was persecuting the Jewish people, trying to Hellenize them, trying to force them to adopt Greek customs, Greek ways of living, Greek religious practices, to the point where he was rounding up every scroll of the, of the Torah and burning it, desecrating synagogues, desecrating places of worship. Um, he, was, he even so, went so, as to, so far as to set up a, a swine sacrifice, a pig sacrifice in the temple. It was called the desecration of abomination in Jewish history. Utterly unimaginable, utterly unimaginable to the Jewish mind. He was forcing, he was rounding up Jews and forcing them to break the Jewish laws, which is what we hear in this first reading, forcing them to eat pork, forcing them to eat pork, which is against the laws of Moses. Leviticus chapters 11 and 12 prohibit the eating of foods that are considered unclean. The principal one is, is uh, the flesh of swine, so pork. Okay, so that's a little bit of the background. Here's where I want us to pay attention right now to our hearts. So you have these seven brothers. Though they're being tortured with whips, and scourges, though they know that they would be executed, they refused to capitulate. They refused to eat just a little bit of pork. You can almost imagine them saying, the Greek, Roman, the Greek soldiers, kid, listen, just have a little bacon. Like, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Like, people are going to go nuts over this stuff in a few centuries. It's just a little bit of pork. Have a little bit. Try a little bit. It's delicious. You'll love it. What's the big deal? It's just a little bit of pork. Why are you guys being so stubborn? Why are you being so obstinate? Like you realize everyone else has already had some, right? You realize that your neighbors, yeah, your neighbor Samuel, your, your neighbor David, yeah, Rebecca, they, they've, all, they've all had some. They all had a little bit of pork. You realize you are the only ones who are refusing to do this. Are you seriously going to die for just a little pork? This is a stupid law from a stupid God. Like, I don't know if you can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear that. And it terrifies me. Because what would I do? Would I do something that would directly contradict my faith in Christ to save my skin? You know, in Japan, there was this huge persecution of Christians that happened. And what the Japanese soldiers would do to the Christian missionaries, they would place a little... Uh, a plaque, a little icon, typically a, a picture of Christ or a picture of the Blessed Mother. They were called fumi'is. And all they asked the Christian missionaries, the Christians to do was just step on it. That's all you have to do. Just step on it and you'll get to live. Just step on it and we'll stop torturing them to death. Just a little bit of pork. Would I have my own moment of apostatizing, denying Christ. Peter in the courtyard of the high priest. Do you realize the first person that asked him, aren't you one of that man's followers? It wasn't a Roman soldier. It wasn't someone carrying a sword or a spear dressed in Roman military outfit. It was a milkmaid. And Peter crumbled at this milkmaid. There are so many Christians throughout the history of the church who have denied him. 
It's the sin of apostasy, the abandonment of religious beliefs, right? Jesus, his closest friends in the Garden of Gethsemane, the moment that he needed them the most, when a little bit of suffering entered it, when a little bit of fear, a little bit of risk entered their lives, they fled. They abandoned him, and Jesus' friends continue to run away from him when the risk of suffering shows up. Friends, you know it, I know it. In this culture that we live in right now, in this world, this modern trench warfare, we all know we're being taught and conditioned more and more, keep your head down. Don't lift your head above the trench. Don't speak up during that HR meeting. Don't speak up during that mandatory diversity, equity, and inclusion meeting. Don't send that email to your boss. Don't say, I'm not going to participate in that. Don't have that conversation with that teacher, a friend, a sibling, one of your adult children. Because if you do, if you say anything, if you lift your head above the trench line, if you move against the grain, if you move against the cultural tide, you're going to be shot filled with the bullets of libel and slander. You're going to be labeled and dismissed. You're a racist. You're bigoted. You're anti-woman, anti-progress, anti-science. You're homophobic, transphobic, all the phobics. You're hateful, closed-minded. You're one of those intolerant Christians. You'll be canceled. What's happening is so many dark, demonic forces in our culture, in our world, are working to slowly erode our willingness to speak the truth, crushing and suffocating the would-be martyr of our soul so that we all just die unheroically, having given up our faith. That's what the enemy wants. That's what the culture wants. And friends, I feel this. Like, I'm your priest, and I feel this. I feel this. Like, I've had conversations recently with people where I know I'm being asked to step into the lion's den and have a tough conversation. I know I'm being asked to step into the lion's den, and internally, my heart is pounding a mile a minute. My knees are buckling. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't really want to talk to you about abortion. I don't really want to talk to you about same-sex marriage. I don't really want to have this conversation because I don't really want to be rejected. I don't really want you to think I'm a closed-minded idiot. I don't really want to be labeled as one of them. I don't want to push back on the politically correct talking point. Like the would-be martyr in us isn't killed in a single day. He dies bit by bit, drop by drop, slowly. Like that's how sin works. That's how sin works. It takes over slowly. And we cooperate with evil slowly. We give in at first. Not to big lies, just to little lies. Little compromises. It's the accumulated effect of so many little moments of cowardice in me, in us. Like that's what slowly kills the would-be martyr. Friends, we need to hear this. I need to hear this. This is not a homily that I want to preach. It's a homily that I have to preach, that I need to preach. Not just for you, for me. Like, this is where I've been wrestling all week. This is where I, this is what I need to hear. We need to practice courage. Like, you will not suddenly be zapped with 
martyr-level courage in the decisive moment if you've been cowardly your whole life. If in all the moments you buckled and folded in the small moments when it was just a little bit of pork, when it's really dire, we're not going to have the courage. Like we too, we have to, we have to refuse to eat just a little bit of pork, spiritually speaking. Friends, your homework this week, my homework this week, over these next weeks, especially as we transition into this new liturgical year, as we get ready for a new year with Advent around the corner, it's just to ask Jesus, Jesus, help me see, identify for me, what is the little bit of pork that I'm eating? What are the little lies I'm willing to go along with, to cooperate with, to live with? Where is the little bit of evil I'm willing to tolerate because I'm too afraid of the suffering that would come my way? I'm too afraid of the email that might come my way. I'm too afraid of the reprimand that might come my way. I'm too afraid of the friends that I might lose, the people that I might upset. I want to end by drawing our attention to a section from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And then I want to end by just sort of offering the practical, right? So, like, the now what? Now that I've really brought down everyone Sunday. Don't wait, it's getting worse. This is... This is not my opinion, what I'm about to share. This is not my opinion. This is what the church officially teaches. Paragraphs 675, 676, and 677 of the Catechism. These three paragraphs. And forgive me for reading them at length. It says this, Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity the mystery of evil, in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism, a fake messiah, by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his messiah come in the flesh. The Antichrist deception already begins to take shape in the world every time the claim is made to realize within history that messianic hope which can only be realized beyond history. The church has rejected even modified forms of this falsification of the kingdom to come, especially the intrinsically perverse political form of a secular messianism, a secular messiah. Lean in on this one. The church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. The kingdom will be fulfilled then not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. Might I recommend that we spend some time praying and reflecting on these three paragraphs, 675 through 677. Because the church is teaching us that we will suffer. If you got into this thing called Christianity thinking, I don't think I'd like to, I don't think I'm going to suffer. You're in the wrong pew. You picked the wrong church. Look who we follow. That's the only way. There is not another route. 
If you want another route, you want another Lord. That's the only way. We will be asked by the world to eat pork, to cooperate with evil little bit by little bit. We have to start developing now a distaste for evil. And we do that by eating something else, namely him. The bread come down from heaven, the bread of immortality, the bread of angels, the bread of the martyrs. Here's the practical. And this is what we're begging God to give us, that God would enlighten our minds that we would grow in awareness of what we're doing when we approach him in holy communion, that we would approach in fear and trembling and awe before the King of kings and Lord of lords, that we say yes, when you say amen to the body of Christ, you are saying amen, yes, I accept the entire Paschal mystery. You are consuming Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. You are saying yes to the full Paschal mystery. You are saying yes to martyrdom, yes to suffering. Yes, I am willing. I will not deny you. I will not run away. I will suffer with you. I will suffer for you. I will witness to the truth as best I can, wherever I can. And at the very least, I will refuse to speak lies. I will refuse to cooperate and participate in lies. Lord, when your flesh, when your flesh touches my lips, may it not be for you another Judas's kiss. But may it be the lips of your beloved. Amen.